Welcome to our podcast on Pace of Pace. I'm Andy Murray, the Executive Director of the Major Projects Association. It's my pleasure to welcome you to yet another one of our podcasts following up on a seminar where we've delved into a particular topic. So this particular podcast uh, follows up on an event that we held uh, on Pace of Pace, and that in itself follows up on a webinar that we held uh, back in the autumn of 2020. So if I just wind the clock back a little bit, uh, in the summer of 2020, uh, the Project Speed initiative was launched by the UK government, uh, and it had a promise to review every part of the major project lifecycle in pursuit of not just faster, but also greener, better delivery. Um, we held our webinar uh, with the Infrastructure and Projects Authority as one of their uh, launch events, and uh, I think we had something like 800 people tune in to listen to what these uh, great ideas would be. What followed from that uh, uh, launch and, and our webinar as well was uh, a series of Pathfinder projects were set up in the uh, spring of 2021, uh, and then in September of uh, uh, that year, the Infrastructure and Pro Projects Authority also published their Transforming Infrastructure Performance Roadmap to 2030. So there's lots of content in there about how uh, we would be going about as a sector to uh, look to speed up the delivery of, of infrastructure in particular. Although it must be said, the initiative around speed that wasn't solely related to, to infrastructure. It did apply to policy projects and, and other uh, transformation initiatives too. So we thought it would be a great idea to see how quick we've been to follow up and uh, implement some of these ideas of, uh, of projects being delivered at PACE, hence our PACE of PACE seminar. So I'm joined uh, today uh, by uh, David, Rebecca, Emma and Simon. So I'll just do a, a quick uh, round of introductions. We do try to keep these podcasts short, so just remind you, please keep your <laughs> personal introductions short as well. So I'll start with you, David. Uh, quick, quick hello. And who are you? Hello. Where are you from? Hello, David Hames, uh, National Highways. I'm the director responsible for the Region Pro Regional Investment Programme North, which includes the A66. Great. Thank you, David. And Emma? Thanks, Andy. So I'm Emma Wilson. I'm the director at the National Audit Office responsible for overseeing our, our work across all government's major programmes. Great, thank you. And Rebecca, same question. Hi, Rebecca Collings at the Nichols Group, where I'm Director of Collaboration and Change. Great, thank you, Rebecca. And lastly, same question to Simon. Hi, everyone. Simon Kirby, Managing Partner of the Nichols Group. Thank you, Simon. So, David, I'm going to start with you first because uh, you gave us uh, some highlights from the Pathfinder project um, that uh, you've been working on, or you, you sponsor, rather, in terms of the the A66 uh, programme, but you first of all set it in a, in a wider context of your portfolio and how it fitted in, uh, but also explained how you were going about um, uh, initiating, setting up and some of the uh, progress that you've achieved. And I was uh, astonished to, to see the uh, uh, some of the timescale reductions that you were uh, predicting in, in the achievements to date already. But one thing that really um, stood out for me was the aspect that it wasn't just about speed, although speed was clearly a critical element of the uh, changed approach, but also there were cost pressures as well. And it sort of debunks the myth around the time cost quality triangle that if you want something quickly, you have to spend more money to do it. And, and that wasn't the case uh, for your A66 programme. So perhaps just want to bring you in initially, David, and in, in sort of reflections on, on that. 
Oh, gosh, Andy, yeah, you're not messing around today, are you? Straight, straight, straight in with the uh, with the business end question there. So, 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 um, if if you look at academically, saving your time should save money. S simple fact there, but 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 I think you've got you've got to look at it in the wider context. Um, all major infrastructure schemes, all major programs, uh, live live in live in a world of of um of risk and uncertainty, um. So there's got to be something there about changing the risk, risk appetite and risk profiles to, to really materialize savings alongside acceleration. You, if you accelerate, but put in different constraints, um, you might fix a start date, you, you might fix an end date with, 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 within that and accelerate to that point. That's inherently probably brings more, more risk into a program. If you said, how quick could you do this? And what is your best approach to, 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 to tackling some of the, some of the um, the process inefficiencies we have. So some of the um, I talked about in the um, at the uh, the session about about the custom and practice manual that that, that organisations have that breaking that. So so I, I do I do think uh, time time and cost are inherently linked, but actually they need to be looking in the round, including the risk profile and the risk appetite of organisations within that time and the tolerance we're prepared to accept. But but um. If we got savings on every time we accelerated, we'd be in a perfect world. If we get savings on the majority of times that we accelerate, we're doing the right thing, I think is the way I would put it. Brilliant. Yeah, I was actually, uh, it's one of the sort of things I scribbled down when you were giving your, your talk around the custom practice and, and how sometimes those are conflated with the, the rule book or the things that you must do uh, and uh, how, how you went about challenging that. I think you also gave a, a particular uh, example of uh, uh, rethinking how you did possessions, moving it from how long have we got it or, you know, the, the lost hours uh, approach to, you know, what's the traffic flow that the operator would tolerate whilst you're doing the work. And I just thought some of those challenges were, were, were fascinating. Uh, absolutely. So, so um... We have we have a road network that that, that runs 20, 24 seven. It it's arteries of the country. Um, we 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 have a requirement to our customers, uh, both both the, the general public plus the freight operators, etc., to, to 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 be to be predictable in what we what we do. And some of the conversations we've had been able to broker in the last couple of years is is actually sometimes they're not interested. Well, they're interested in actually minimizing the type of closures. But they're more interested in the predictability of the closures. So, so mm -hmm. if we are predictable um, and actually have slightly longer closures, but have less, um, that plays to their planning and their logistics, particularly the haulage operators. So, so it's a win-win situation. And then when we talked to, to locals around our schemes, um, all all schemes cause, cause disruption to 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 day-to-day to, to -day life. Um, do people like a prolonged? Disruption over over multiple years, or would they prefer a couple a couple of weekends when 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 we close roads? And we're actually finding the public are coming back to more to actually longer closures. So we're um, so that's given us sort of um, Jesse Norman once said, um, you 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 only deliver roads by consent, and that includes consent of the public. Um, so so that is very much plays into that agenda too, Andy. Yeah, so it's looking at all all the different aspects and if you like even the players that have a role to play uh, in terms of uh, prolongating you know, schedules and so on. Um, a key feature of the, the Pathfinder program that, that I picked up on uh, and it was also a feature of the um, of the work at the uh, Angling Waters um, Strategic Pipeline Alliance uh, that we heard about as well was the product factory uh, and 
the, the fact that you've got these 35 products, uh, delivery products that you've um, worked on that got sort of proven designs. And importantly, you also said proven uh, methods that, that went with it as well. So perhaps if you could give us an example, what when you mean delivery products, um, what, what do you mean? What would one look like? So, so, so um, if, if, if I if I touch back on on extended road closures as as a, as a great great example there. So basically, what what you do, and we've also considered this uh, bottom up from 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 the project manager and the project team's perspective. So, 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 so how do, how how can they enact these things? Um, so we've basically built a toolkit. Toolkit are the questions they should be asking and and the type of consultation they do. So, so it really flows flows through. So, 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 so that they they don't have to um, start from first principles. On, on de delivering and acting these things, they've, they've got a toolkit that they build up and actually de deliver through the through the process through that. Um, I, I would like to say they've all been tested now, but 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 they're, 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 a lot of them are in test mode now. Test mode now. I think we're up to about thirty eight across national highways now, um, and the product factory really gave us the opportunity to um, to, um, to 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 make to make to make interactions and actually deploy them multiple times, um, we, we, which is which is one of our sustainable approaches going forward yeah and, and it's a legacy as well that it's not just the uh, the improvements on the a66 program but i assume that those products will be reusable elsewhere on your network oh ab absolutely um for, for 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 the um i think we have pro probably 10 primary ones on the a66 because of speed now and we've, we've developed that into, into into 37 else elsewhere and and so some some of the, some of, some of the savings delivers uh, pure time saving on on schemes to, to, in relation to starter works or open for traffic, but 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 others are used to um to uh, to give us additional float in the schemes and actually mitigate some of the risks, particularly when we, when we interact with 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 partners like Network Rail and closures when we've got to book them so far in advance. It just puts a bit 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 more bit more elasticity into the program to 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 secure more certainty in those closures. So 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 sometimes they don't always transpire, Andy, as, as savings. But 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 actually within 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 our project delivery circles, that they're, they're they're seen as wins because they're actually just taking some some of that some of that tension out of the system sometimes that that, that helps to successful delivery. Great, thanks. So, um, the, the these improvements and these products haven't you know sort of spontaneously sort of uh, appeared by themselves. So one of the things you explained when you you gave us your Walk through, you know, what the Pathfinder program looks like. Is that you've got a an, an assessment-based approach where you see where these products and where the opportunities uh, can be uh, applied, but also you've got a, a support centre. So, can you just explain sort of how how that was set up, and is it one just for the program, or is it one that sort of supports multiple schemes? So, 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 so I'll start start with where where, where the ideas come from. So the ideas generally come from from lessons learned. So, so, so what we did was we went back and trawled lesson learned, spoke to project teams, and find out where they find their angst and and, and their issues were, and where they where they thought they could they'd do that. Then we limited the interventions to uh, interventions that we could um, have ready to, to deploy within six months, and make a meaningful difference within two years. That doesn't mean all the other great ideas were lost, but they were handed on to people, to, people on, a, on a slower burn within, within their functional areas. So it was really focused on those those tangible interventions we could make now. And and then then so so with some external partners, um, we we basically basically try tried to make this simple simple as we could to the product owners. So so we we had we had authors who were writing this up in in a very lay lay form that people could understand. So they they were interviewing the product owners. 
um, on, on how they would make a difference and, th and then challenging the scope and everything else. Then we went through a triage system um, uh, but basically with, with a, a, a quasi um, a panel sort of sort of sort of vertically taken from the business from all levels. So do, will this work? Will it make a difference? What are the blockers kind of kind of flow through that there through that there for them? And, and then and then we produced, a, say, the, the 37 that we've got at the moment. We, we go to a project team and say, um, here are the products. Which ones do you think are most applicable? No, 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 no project team has taken on more than eight, I think, at the moment. At any moment in time, we will revisit those projects at different times. But 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 we we felt eight to ten was probably en enough to take on in, in in the in the first go. And then we wrap around a, an aftercare team who who've been enveloped in the product development. So if there is a blocker with the product, we weren't expecting the project team to go and sort it. We had a separate team to go and solve that problem out because because some of these were being used for the first time. That 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 aftercare team, as we called it, was across multiple projects. It was across. Um, up to 16 projects at any one time. So, so it was great that we, we, we were able to interact the learning. So, so where, where there was blockers on one scheme, if, if another scheme was a, was two or three weeks ahead, we, we, we worked a solution, we pushed that back through. So, so and actually, so that, 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 was a, that was a huge team of three people kind of thing. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a big team. It didn't need to be big, but they needed access to the right people to ask the questions. So, so it was really about connecting dots. And I think probably Rebecca will probably talk about that a bit later, about how, how you connect things across organisations to make, to, 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 make, to make them work, because the power is in lots of the organisations that we work in at the moment. Uh, we know what needs fixing. We just sometimes haven't got the, the time, maybe the appetite, maybe the effort to go and do it. So we took this offline to do it offline and then put that dedicated support team around it. So the project manager and the project team could focus on their day job. Yeah, that's a great top tip, you know, as a small team, uh, because there is a danger you sort of flood these sort of central functions and then you know, they, they end up with uh, paces issues of, of their own. Um, one one other aspect that I thought was was really interesting, and I'm not going to ask you a question on this today because you've, <laughs> I've grilled you enough already, um, but it but it gives me a nice segue to, to Emma. So uh, um, so it's, it's a dubious link, but uh, but I thought I'd just reflect on it anyway. But but you mentioned the need for for stronger relationships there. You said joining the dots together within your organisation, but you also mentioned in your talk outside of your organisation. You mentioned the the relationship with the Department for Transport. And through that, you agreed a scheme of progressive assurance, and you know so that it can be sort of immediately obvious why progressive assurance through life of the activities uh, can yield savings rather than doing a whole load of activities coming at the end, you know the plan do review check and then go back again. So uh, I can see uh, you know the, the benefit of that. So that's my my dubious um, link, Emma. So from assurance to to the National Audit Office, <laughs> I know it's a different role, um, but uh, but you you uh, did a review um, across a number of of programs that were, had been delivered at speed, and you produced a report on uh, lessons from programs uh, delivered at pace. Uh, and uh, um, I know you gave us a talk on it uh, on on the day, but for the benefit of our listeners who who may not have uh, attended. At the event, I thought perhaps if you could just give us a, a quick uh, highlights of what your key findings were when you did those reviews across a number of, of programmes. Yeah, thanks, Andy. So, I mean, our reviews and from what we found from looking at our reports is that we that there's different elements to, to delivering at speed. And what we've seen in the last few years is that government has wanted to deliver things quickly, not just efficiently, but deliver things in a real emergency situation where actually speed is of the very essence to them achieving the overarching outcomes that they want from the kind of the change and, the, and from the programme. I mean, just look at kind of the vaccines programme where, you know, 
the, the aim was to get a, a, a safe, reliable vaccine out to the public as fast as possible. Look at EU exit, a whole spectrum of programmes brought together in the portfolio where we had a fixed deadline at which we had to exit the, the EU by this date. That was our kind of a driver for our speed. So the NEO took all the insights that we'd gathered from across these programmes delivered in, in these situations um, to pull together what we thought was what we thought was 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 really important, and this kind of differs from there's lots of talk about kind of project speed, you know, within within Treasury and their kind of uh, initiative, which is really designed on making a much more uh, of efficient uh, process and, and speeding up those kind of standard processes you expect to do. Whereas this is kind of a slightly different take. So for us, the kind of the main the main kind of lesson or insight, if there was one takeaway that you should kind of listen to, is actually. To, to deliver at speed is all about understanding the kind of the risks and actually accepting the fact that actually, okay, I want to do this quickly. It is going to be risky. It is going to be harder to do. Actually, are those risks worth taking and can I manage the risks? And I think that was kind of, we brought it down into kind of a one page guide for decision makers, which kind of set out, set out that. You know, some of the risks that we've seen, I mean, David talked right at the outset of his kind of conversation around kind of doing things quicker, kind of save time, save money. But actually, sometimes, you know, the, the, the kind of the speed and we've seen it, it costs more money. You know, we looked at the ventilator program where they wanted the ventilators quickly for COVID-19. So they, they, they looked at manufacturing, they looked at building their own, they bought in all the technical expertise. They knew it was going to cost more, but they had some cost saving, you know, they had some ways to manage those risks later. There's risks around um, the people. You know, we saw EU exit kind of, you know, in one month alone, 1,500 people drawn from across the civil service into kind of the, um, the, the department to deliver this. A mass movement of people which, you know, it created risk in itself in terms of the knock-on effects, but also it's hard work. You know, that you, you we have stats now kind of around on the, the kind of the number of people leaving the civil service on the back of that. It, it's it's kind of hard work. And you add on that in terms of the kind of the risk of, of not achieving outcomes and we've seen a number of programs not delivered uh, at speed so we kind of set out those kind of real factors you need to understand why you want to why you want to do it what are the risks and whether these are worth taking and then we go on to the second part of the guide to put to outline some of those kind of conditions for conditions for success how you should manage the kind of the the more detailed risks once you've decided to go ahead which was the, the crux point uh, and, and how to manage those thanks emma and your your guide is is available um, on the NEO uh, website and your on your hub um, that you've set up. So uh, I do recommend uh, people uh, having a quick Google, uh, having a look at it, and, and downloading that that guide. Uh, what's uh, what's the best address for for that, Emma, or is it just a straight Google will find it? Hopefully, a straight Google will find it. But the NEO website, yeah, neo.org.uk, and then from there it's there. And all our kind of Brilliant. reports, all of our back catalog reports are linked in there and linked into yeah. our hub homepage. Great. Um, one of the things that I think stands out from the contrast of uh, of, of David you know, talking about the approach, with, certainly within the Pathfinder framework, but uh, setting out how to deliver the, the A66 programme versus the urgency uh, um, you know the, the projects or programs where there's that sense of urgency is the difference between that um, you know, deadline-based or milestone-based uh, approach. And David, you said you 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 had a slightly different approach, which is how quickly can we deliver it rather than how can we deliver it within a particular milestone. And and they are they are different, and the, the trade-offs I think are different as a as a consequence of that. 
and I, I think it, I think it, Emma Emma summed it up very well about about it's 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 the risk and and um, what what are you, what are you trying to achieve? So um, it would be it would be wrong to 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 compare um, um, the the delivery of the A sixty six to to um, to to the vaccine vaccine rollout rollout. They 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 are. They are they are similar that they are they are they are programs or projects of activity but 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 they're, they're aiming to do different different things and the and absolutely the risk tolerances are absolutely different on them um mm -hmm. but but emma summed it up very well actually um if you put constraints in in, in into the system um uh, while trying to accelerate your risk profile and your risk tolerances and, and your risk appetite must change to go along alongside side those the, those things um and 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 accept the consequences of those decisions so coming down to trade-offs uh, in, in uh, what the consequences are of different approaches um so i'd like to now come on to um rebecca so rebecca i think you probably had the the hardest um gig <laughs> at our, uh, our seminar um rather than turning up to, to talk about something you you worked on you you know we asked you to to facilitate uh, a discussion you know from the uh, members who are in attendance at the seminar, uh, picking on some of the themes that came out from the case studies. And, and one of the recurring themes was the role of leadership uh, and also that the need for collaboration across organisational boundaries. So um, I just thought perhaps you could just sum up some of the key takeaways that that uh, you gained from you know, what the members had to say when we posed the, the challenges back to them. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the case studies that we talked about on the day very much had a strong collaboration aspect to them. Um, and in my experience of supporting organisations to collaborate better rescue relationships and, um, you know, deliver better results together. Collaboration is something that's bandied around a lot, but is often left to fate. Um, and I think that very much resonated with the audience and some of the conversation that we had in the room on the day, that actually it's very important for leaders to be very clear about what they're expecting people to collaborate on, why, and what value they expect to achieve through um, that kind of collaboration. And then to actually create the space to enable people to develop the right relationships sort of across the organisations. Some of our audience talked about the criticality of horizontal integration. So even where, you know, very senior leaders and sponsors are um, benefiting from strong working relationships and clarity of shared vision um, with one another, it's absolutely imperative that that flows down the organisation and is supported by, you know, staff working at all levels on the programme of change, whatever that might be. Um, there is naturally quite an inherent tension between going at speed and developing those kinds of relationships. Collaboration is not something that you can say one day and achieve sort of the following day. It requires ongoing effort um, from all parties to sustain those relationships, even where you've you know, built that trust. Um, and trust and psychological safety, I think, were two of the key things that came out from the conversation that we had in the room. Um, the importance of leaders creating that environment where actually people from different organisations who often have realistically very different agendas and priorities, um, the importance of leaders creating that space and psychological safety that others can navigate some of the 
tensions that might arise when you're trying to do things at speed or do arise anyway um, when you're working on a complex program. Yeah, and the um, the need to invest in creating that environment, I think, came out from this discussions as well. You mentioned there that you know you can't just say right, we're going to be collaborative and expect it to happen the next day. So you've already got this this tension between uh, the need to have that in early to get the pace, but also the need to take time for those relationships to uh, to form and, and for the trust to, to be established. But one thing that we had from uh, one of the other case studies, which uh, um, we're not here for this podcast, the, the Anglian Waters um, Strategic Pipeline Alliance, they mentioned that they invested a lot of training uh, in, in just the concept of their approach, and in particular, the, the production uh, approach. And they said they did training on that the process they put in place so that all the people across is that you know horizontal integration as you were saying uh, were familiar uh, with, uh, with with how it worked and and I sort of just wrote down a note of the day which was uh, and that was for everyone from the CEO um, down to the uh, to the trainee so I, I thought that was fascinating and you can't roll out those programs in, in a few days can you <laughs> that that takes time to you know to to work out what it looks like to trial it to uh, then to, to then deploy it as well what that creates then that kind of investment is more of a sense of being one team you know uh, individuals starting to speak the same language as one another and understand each other's positions so to speak in 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 a way that then you know should enable greater collaboration and and in the longer term actually possibly less investment to sustain and trying to rescue something later on there's a, there was a few sort of takeaways um, that, that came from the, the seminar, uh, things that we can think about going forward. And one was um, what we can learn from the, the Pathfinder uh, project. So, so how do we instill this, uh, th these new ways of working across the, the sector as a whole? And uh, I'm going to unfairly spring this one onto, onto Simon uh, to uh, uh, think about you know how do we share uh, the, these lessons, Simon, from these different initiatives that are sort of breaking the the old paradigms and trying new ways of working, um, so that they become the the established ways of working. It's not a new question, and and clearly it's one of the sort of paradigms we've got to change in the industry. What I took from the event in Manchester that was really good was. There was evidence of the case studies there in hospitals, in prisons, in roads, actually learning from each other. And the sort of common theme there is Project 13 and the IPA. So, yeah, having been involved quite a bit in the original concepts of Project 13, I guess I have a bias here, but I know the work went into it was really building in at that point, learning from lots of sectors into a common set of rules about how you set up, how you integrate, how you go about the requirements and how you ultimately deliver an infrastructure program. Um, there is inherent, this is just purely in my experience, an inherent um, um, issue around people in major projects not always wanting to learn from other major projects because their own approach, their way is a better way of doing it type thing. A few of you nodding, so clearly none of you ever seen that. <laughs> Um, and in a sense, when you create a project, you want it to have its own identity. You want it to feel like you've got the best people in the world capable of delivering that program. And by doing that, you're almost giving a message that, you know, that's that's sort of OK and it isn't. So you need a balance clearly of how do you get best practice learning, but also 
how does it apply to you and your program? Because if it was just a question of applying Project 13, it would be so easy, wouldn't it? And of course, the reality is um, it is just a set of generic rules. How you apply it, you need the best people possible, the best suppliers possible to do that, given the complexity of our programs. So I think it's, it's not an easy question, Andy, to answer, but it does always come back to people. And what I took from the event in Manchester that was felt a bit different actually was there was a common theme there and a common desire to, to learn from each other. And whether that's a shift in project leadership, quite possibly as well, in that leaders now are more open to, to change and open to thinking. Um, but it's just one we've got to keep striving for and continually look at improving. Uh, another point, the we did some work in um, Network Rail about a year and a half ago about how we applied Project 13 within Network Rail. So we, Nichols, now did this work with Network Rail. And when we had original sessions, people were quite, what's this Project 13? That doesn't really apply to us because of what, you know, for all sorts of reasons. Once we went through it several times, and frankly, we, we, we wrote it in a rail terminology that people could understand and relate it to their environment. And these are really good people, very knowledgeable in their environment. And yet yeah, that does apply to us. It is, it is applicable and have now adopted it. So it's, it's, it's having that ability to take something from another area and turn it into something that's applicable for whatever infrastructure they're involved in. Yeah, there's that repeatable aspect coming through again there. And uh, uh, David was uh, saying earlier about the you know, the, the, the products and some of those will be what I would call management products that not necessarily uh, sort of built environment like products uh, as a way of uh, accelerating delivery. Um, so I'm going to start winding up now because uh, we like to keep these uh, podcasts short and sweet. We don't want to sort of uh, repeat the full detail of uh, uh, what, what we said at and what we learned at the, the seminar in itself. And of course, we also have the, the full report. So um, if this has whetted the appetite of uh, people listening and, and want to find out more, you've either got the sort of four page short report, um, uh, but also um, when it comes out, the uh, sort of 100 page transcript of all of the, the key points that, that came from the, the seminar. So um, there's some points of further uh, discussion and we've, we've sort of tackled uh, one of those, but I'm going to um, now sort of come on to the, the the last of those and give you each uh, an opportunity for for you know one last soundbite to possibly go on our website as you know David said this or Simon said that in uh, in great quotes but what's the one uh, lesson uh, that you can apply uh, to perhaps your next project you know what's the one thing you would do uh, to go about uh, accelerated delivery so um, I'll start with uh, with Rebecca what, what's what's your one thing that you would look to do uh, on your next project I think building space and time from the outset to not just think about the contractual relationships, but the actual relationships and how you are going to invest in those rather than um, leaving that to fate or hoping that others will sort of sort that out amongst themselves. Right, that comes back to that people aspect we just heard from, from Simon. Yeah. Um, so Emma, what would be your one top tip um, to apply? In some ways, it builds on kind of what Rebecca says in terms of that kind of you know softer side is just you know having the right open, honest, transparent conversations at the outset, you know, to understand whether you can strike the right balance between the risks of doing things, whether you can um, manage the balance of doing things at speed and delivering an outcome. 
Yeah, so they keep that focus on those those outcomes. Uh, Simon, back to you. Yeah, a common theme, but I'd take longer on the overall strategy and thinking about if this is a 10-year programme, what's this project going to look like in five years? What will the stakeholders be like? What will the market be like? Um, and think about the market and the context that project's in. I see too many projects today ignoring the fact there's HS2 down the road using all the resources and people up and sort of almost you know compartmentalising it. We all are delivering projects in a country that has market forces in. So think more about that and predicting that. Yeah, that's interesting. That that came up in the original webinar that we we had uh, when Project Speed was uh, was was launched. And I remember the the analogy we used at the time was um, the fastest way that a Formula One car goes around a corner is in slow out fast. <laughs> if you go in fast, you normally come off the track. Uh, so that's definitely not the way to uh, to accelerate delivery. Um, so David, I, I picked on you right at the beginning when we set out, you know, 30 minutes or so ago uh, uh, with a, with a difficult question. I'm just going to give you an easy one now. What's the one thing that you would do to, to, to for your next project? All, all of the above that the, the, the uh, <laughs> Rebecca Emma, and Simon have said. I, I, I think I think I would probably come back to and it comes back to people and um, Playing on Simon's point there is is decide what you're going to do, plan for it, then adopt a, a, an acceleration mindset, and then br bring it bring in learning. I probably had about three or four there, Andy. Yes, yeah, it's, it's one with some sub bullets, but we'll allow that. So, yeah. uh, uh, well, thank you very much, all of you. Um, it's uh, it's been great to reflect on some of the things that came out from the seminar. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the, the the day we had in in Manchester as well. There were some fantastic case studies, some really good discussions, and and Simon, you hit the the nail on the head there. The the uh, um, the you know the really evident uh, collaboration and sharing and, and cooperation between you know, you know different departments and different types of uh, projects and programs as well. Um, so thank you everyone who's made it to the end of this podcast. And uh, as I mentioned before, you can find the, the the reports on the Major Projects Association's website uh, and do look out for further podcasts uh, following on from our subsequent and our upcoming seminars. <laughs>